You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast every week with the fabulous A.L. Tate, also known as Alison Tate, author of The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. But I'm without the wonderful Alison in this in-between episode. We've received so much feedback from listeners that you can't wait for a new episode to drop each week, which is why we are publishing these in-between episodes, which we hope you enjoy. This is a story session where we read or the author or sometimes someone fabulously famous reads the first chapter of a book we recommend. That means you can sample this book while you're doing the laundry or commuting because maybe you don't have time to get to the bookshop or you're not comfortable when you're in the bookshop reading the first chapter of the book to decide whether you'll get into it or not. So we've brought the bookshop to you. This week, I've chosen The Grandest Bookshop in the World by Amelia Mellor. This is such a magical book from start to finish. It tells the tale of siblings Pearl and Valley Cole, who live in Cole's Book Arcade in Melbourne in 1893. It really is the grandest bookshop in the world, full of curiosities and curious people. First of all, I couldn't resist the book because, I mean, who doesn't love a bookshop, right? But also it's based on the real life Coles Book Arcade. And although it's a middle grade book, it's full of magic and fantasy. And I learned so much about this fascinating period in Melbourne's history. And I've been to that arcade and I've read about the bookshop. I've learned about the history of the bookshop. And I was so fascinated by the kinds of things that they had going on in that bookshop. You know, they had jungle animals and they had all sorts of things. So, you know, I just loved, um, I knew I had to read this book. So I was transported away by the Cole siblings and the challenges they faced trying to save the bookshop and their family. Here's the blurb. Pearl and Valley Cole live in a bookshop, and not just any bookshop. In 1893, Cole's Book Arcade in Melbourne is the grandest bookshop in the world, brimming with every curiosity imaginable. Each day brings fresh delights for the siblings, voice-changing sweets, talking parrots, a new story written just for them by their eccentric father. When Pearl and Valley learn that Pa has risked the arcade and himself in a shocking deal with the mysterious Obscura Smith, the siblings hatch a plan. Soon they are swept into a dangerous game with impossibly high stakes, defeat seven challenges by the stroke of midnight, and both the arcade and their father will be restored. But if they fail, Pearl and Valley won't just lose Pa, they'll forget that he and the arcade ever existed. So cool. Okay, so this is the debut middle grade novel by Australian author Amelia Mellor, and the prequel, set in Melbourne's Paddy's Market, is due out in 2021. I just know readers are going to love the mix of fantasy and history that Amelia manages to weave together. So here is the first chapter of The Grandest Bookshop in the World by Amelia Mellor. Chapter 1 A Curious Visitor. Pearl Cole lived in a bookshop. When most people said that, they meant that they spent so much time at the library, the theatre or their workplaces that they felt as if they lived there. But for Pearl, this was not the case. She did not spend her life in bookshops in general. She lived in a flat at the top of Cole's Book Arcade, 299 Burke Street, under the rainbow sign that could be seen from as far away as Parliament House. And although it meant she had to explain herself often, 
Pearl would not have given up living in a bookshop for any price. For one thing, living in a bookshop allowed her to read lots of interesting books. For another, it allowed her to read lots of interesting people. She was reading one now. He was a tall man, leaning on a shelf in the business section. A black walking cane topped with silver rested at his side. Pearl held up Treasure Island up to her face and watched the stranger over the top of it. He must be some actor or magician, she decided. He must be promoting his show to the public by wearing his costume out and about. She could see no other reason to wear full evening dress, top hat, tailcoat, bow tie, patent leather shoes, at three o'clock on a Saturday, especially on such a hot afternoon which made Cole's book arcade as bright and stuffy as a greenhouse. Sunshine glared down from the skylight through the light well that cut through the upper floors and off the mirrored obelisks in the centre of the ground floor so that every shelf and corner was well illuminated. On the reading chairs, ladies waved their fans at their sweaty faces. The air was stifling inside the arcade, but outside was worse. The scent of lavender from the arcade's perfumery was better than the stink of dust and sweat and horse muck in the street. Reflected rainbows were better than the stinging rays of the sun. The arcade welcomed everybody, whether they had money to spend or not. Read for as long as you like, urged the signs at both ends of the arcade on every floor. No one asked to buy. This customer was making the most of the invitation. His slender fingers flipped to the pages of a volume bound in red. Pearl reached into her bag of peppermints, a specialty of the book arcade's lolly shop, They turned your breath into a frosty breeze, better than ice cream for cooling off. The confectioner made them by writing spells into the sugar dough while it was still molten, flowing liquid. Pearl popped one into her mouth and glanced at the stranger again. Perhaps he didn't feel the heat. People came from all over the world to Victoria and from all over Victoria to Cole's Book Arcade. After all, this was 1893 Trains and steamships could carry a person to any country in the world these days. He might have been from Ceylon, or Brazil, or Egypt, somewhere that would make late March in Melbourne feel like the first day of spring. He looked up and saw Pearl staring and snapped the book shut. Afternoon, mademoiselle. He tipped his hat. Just come from Lollyland, have you? His voice was rich and smooth, and Australian by the sound of it. Intrigued, Pearl put Treasure Island down. The peppermints were beginning to stick together in their paper bag, red stripes bleeding out of the wrappers and into each other. Would you like one? Shall we trade? Between his fingers, a licorice button appeared from the air. Pearl grinned. I knew it. Beg your pardon? You're a stage magician. The ability itself to do magic wasn't particularly unusual. Many people could do a little. Pearl herself could make a playing card wobble in the air for two seconds and command a coin to turn over. But this was the equivalent of playing hot cross buns on the piano. A career magician was an expert, a virtuoso who combined the three magical principles of imagination, conviction and articulation. They had the talent and motivation to practice for years. No two people practiced magic in the same way, so it was no good taking lessons. You had to discover your knack on your own. Pearl's father liked to write his enchantments in his office, losing himself inside his head as he dreamed up new attractions for his splendid arcade. Her mother liked to join hands with people and chant rhyming spells in the dark. Pearl didn't know her style yet, nor if she even had any real aptitude for magic. 
Though her parents were talented, her brothers were not. Pearl could picture her ideas with brilliant precision, and she had no shortage of belief in herself, but her articulation was still developing. She considered herself excellent at writing, and she was, for a ten-year-old. That wasn't good enough where magic was concerned. She found that the more descriptive she was, the better her results, but her spells still fell short of what she wanted, like her drawings always did. Last week, she had tried her big sister Linda's method, which was to speak to the object of her spell as if it could listen and obey. The aim had been to patch a hole in her sock, so she laid it on the floor and told it, in the stern, patient voice Linda used, to return to the way it had been before it was damaged. It had briefly turned into the fluffy head of a cotton flower. She scrunched her whole face up with the effort of imagining a sock, then opened her eyes to find a hopeless snarl of unravelled string. Her brothers had laughed at her. She'd been so angry with them and herself that she'd thrown the stupid sock out the window, where a stray cat had run away with it before she could get it back. So she was somewhat in awe of people who did have a talent for the magical arts, and especially of people who had the motivation to do it for a living. Well, she asked the stranger, aren't you? Aren't I what? A stage magician. Young lady, said the stranger, extending the licorice to Pearl. I've never set foot on a stage in my life. She knew better than to eat an unknown sweet, especially one from Cole's book arcade. Once, her brother Eddie had given her a raspberry drop that turned her feet into flippers for an hour. She didn't want to seem rude, though. She let the stranger pick his peppermint and dropped the licorice in her lolly bag. Can you show me another trick? The peppermint made the man's breath come out in a cloud. Go and ask the chicken. She's got a good trick. Pearl glanced toward the nearby staircase. The black metal hen was clucking, about to lay a tin egg with a treat inside. Small boys shoved one another, each trying to feed the chicken its next penny. It was impressive, but it wasn't magic. It was mechanical. Such clever deceptions filled the book arcade, sometimes making up for where her father's magic had failed to work the way he wanted it to. Please, sir, just one more. Hasn't anyone ever told you that children should be seen and not heard? We say seen and not hurt in my house. You must have awfully modern parents. Oh, yes. Pearl's mother and father were both full of bright ideas about how the world would change in the next century, and they liked to hear bright ideas from Pearl and her siblings. Pa said that by the year 2000, everyone would be using telephones, flying machines, and the moving picture lantern. My parents are very modern, nearly futuristic. Futuristic, what a big word. Pearl tucked a toffee-coloured curl behind her ear. Just medium, I think. A big word is something like prestigitator. As she heard herself say it, she was pleased by how well it fit him. The word had more flair, more arrogance than magician. The prestigitator chuckled deep in his chest like the beginnings of a tiger's growl. Sorry, Pearl learned most words by reading and most pronunciations by trial and error. Is that not how you're supposed to say it? Don't apologise. He took a square of paper out of his pocket. You reminded me of something, that's all. He removed his hat, dropped the paper into it, and took up his cane. He tapped the hat three times and tilted it right side up again. A neat paper statue of a bird dropped into his palm in its own little black tailcoat. Pearl grinned. She couldn't tell how the stranger had done it. 
His imagination must have been powerful because the bird was so crisply folded. He gave off conviction like a fire giving off heat, but she hadn't seen how he articulated the wish to turn the piece of paper into a bird. Was it sleight of hand, after all, or was it possible to be so creative and confident that he could change the world just by thinking about it? It's a willy wagtail! Quite right. He tossed the tiny bird into the air. Just when Pearl thought it would fall, it opened its wings, flitted to the top of the nearest gas lamp, and fanned its tail proudly from side to side. Run along now, or your mother will go home without you. He opened his book again. She's already home, in the flat. Pearl nodded towards the second floor of the book arcade. Mr. Cole is my pa. The man had been growing bored. Now, though, he had the look of a raven spying a skink in the grass. Is he really? He slid the red book back onto the shelf without looking at it. Why, then, you must be Ruby Cole. No, she looked away. I'm Pearl. I see, said the stranger, and she had the oddest feeling he had known that already. So is Ruby your elder sister, or younger? Elder. But Pearl was older now than Ruby had ever been. She still ached a bit to think of her sister. They'd been born a year apart, neither of them knowing a world without the other, until all of a sudden Ruby had dropped out of the world, and it had gone on turning. But she's not with us anymore. Already grown up and married. Pearl frowned. No, sir, she passed away three years ago. Of course, he said. I must have been thinking of Ada. Scarlet fever, wasn't it? His brows were raised at an expectant angle. He knew the answers to his own questions, Pearl realised. The thought sent a chill wriggling down her back that had nothing to do with the special peppermints. He didn't realise that Pearl's elder sister, Ada Belinda, went by her middle name. But all the same, he'd found out about her somehow. He wasn't asking Pearl to gather information, nor to be polite. He had no interest in what she said, but how she said it. He was using what he knew about Pearl's family to see how she would react. Yes, it was, she said, no longer caring whether she sounded rude. The silver-topped cane seemed dishonest. Now she could see he didn't have a limp. She glanced about in search of a red jacket, the uniform of the book arcade staff. Even a familiar customer would have given her an excuse to leave, but she could only see strangers. Well, Miss Cole, it's lovely to meet you, said the smiling magician. What a lucky girl you are to live in this beautiful arcade. Pearl hated being called Little. Her sister Ivy, three years younger, was the Little One in the family. She felt a sort of scrunching in her chest when she remembered she had told him about the flat. It was easy to be friendly in the book arcade and easy to forget that not everyone else was. In England, when Pa was small, strangers used to snatch children off the street to make them chimney sweeps and mine for coal. Quite an improvement on that cheap old barrow your father used to push. The man studied the skylight as he spoke. He gave a slight nod at it as if approving the design before he turned back to her. I don't suppose you know where I might find him. You know my pa? Everybody knows the book king of Melbourne, said the stranger. I have a business proposal for him. Pearl narrowed her eyes. Are you the tax man? This fellow looked as if he liked taking money from people, maybe more than money. He shrugged. I collect debts sometimes. It's not the sort you're thinking of. 
He ran his hand along the cane. Its slender stem was made from lots of little rotating barrels inscribed with silver symbols, a bit like a combination lock. So he did use articulation after all. It was just that his gestures were so subtle and practised that his magic seemed effortless. Pearl had never seen anyone work an enchantment like that before. The stranger showed his palm to her again, revealing a business card between his index and middle fingers. Take him that. I might give you another lolly if you're quick. Pearl glanced down at it. It was completely black. There's nothing on it. He'll know who I am. Important people often called upon Pa at his arcade. Pearl tucked her lollies into her pocket, stood up, took the card and turned away, heading towards her father's office. As soon as the stranger was out of sight behind the bookshelves, she snuck another look at the card. Silvery letters shimmered on its surface. She tilted it back and forth, reading them by their shine on the matte background. The Obscurus Myth. Astonishing deals at incredible prices. There was no name and no address, and when she murmured Obscurosmith, it sounded like a hiss. She suddenly wanted to throw the card away, or better yet, to hide it. She could slide it into the back of a bookshelf somewhere, or inside some dreary volume nobody would ever want to read. But no sooner had this impulse struck her than another thought reined it in. The stranger might find out, and Pearl knew in the same deep-down way she knew to never walk down Brown Alley, that something terrible would happen if he did. Arriving at her father's office, she knocked on the door. Come in. The voice was distant, distracted. Pearl turned the brass doorknob, one of the arcade's many modern fixtures, and entered. Pa's cluttered office, like Pa himself, was both newfangled and quaint. The shelves were lined with gold-embossed leather books and threadbare cloth books, and crisp card-bound books from the arcade presses. Beside the antique gas lamp stood the big electric telephone with its funny talking trumpet and the shrill bells that chattered when a call came in. Pearl's father sat at the desk, jacket off, sleeves rolled up. He propped his face on one hand and held a pen in the other, but the way he held it told her that his usual creativity had deserted him today. March tended to have that effect on him. The official morning was over and done, and the black morning clothes gone from the Coles' wardrobes, as it was bad luck to keep them too long. But every autumn, the days leading up to the 27th of March weighed on Pa. He had a pensive nature, and he didn't like to leave the arcade very often, which meant that he had few distractions from his own thoughts. What had once been the season of pears and grapes and the book arcade's Easter sales was now the season of missing Ruby. Smoothing his hand down his beard, he dropped the pen and looked up. He must have been expecting one of the staff, for he lit up at once. If it isn't our pearl! Hello, Pa! She closed the door. How's your writing? A little slow today. Spread across his desk, she could see a letter, some gardening books, and a collection of nursery rhymes, which he often rewrote as newspaper advertisements for the bookshop. The desk was cluttered but not chaotic. Like the rest of the arcade, it was organised, although the system of that organisation might be known only to Pa. He lifted a notebook from one of the piles and read a line aloud. Why does the ocean roar? He often tested his material on his children. Pearl thought about it for a moment. Because the lobsters pinch it on the bottom. It could be hard to tell when Mr Cole was smiling because of his long brown beard and moustache, 
You had to pay attention to his cheeks, his eyes, his gentle voice, but he was smiling now. Too rude to print, but it is a better joke. He crossed something out. Where else can they pinch? Nose, said Pearl. Hand, foot, toe. Toe! Pa dipped his pen in the inkwell. Pinch, it's, let's say, undertoe. He grabbed the page with an emphatic full stop. What have you got there, Pearly Gig? Ah! For a moment she had forgotten the stranger and his strange card. She glanced at the door as if he might be standing behind her. There's somebody here to see you. Pa must have noticed her hesitation because he sat up with a furrowed brow. Not another holy joke complaining about the rainbows, is it? That still happens sometimes. Pa could champion any noble cause. He could delight the public in a hundred wonderful ways. He could abstain from and condemn every vice from smoking to racism. It made no difference to some people. They couldn't stand the idea that anyone could think of the book arcade when they saw a rainbow instead of thinking of Noah's Ark and the Flood. Of course, rainbows could remind a well-read person of anything. Leprechauns, poems, lorikeets, crystal chandeliers, soap bubbles, old paintings, and the Bible, and Cole's book arcade. Pearl saw no reason why all these ideas ought not to coexist in an educated head. But the only thing the Obscurismith had in common with Pa's critics was that, like a vicar, he wore black. And pious people, in Pearl's experience, did not have astonishing deals at incredible prices. He said he's here with a business position, she said, handing over the card. He said he remembers when all you had was a book wheelbarrow. Business proposition, Pa corrected her. What kind of business? He didn't say, but she wanted to tell her father the rest of it all at once. The eager look in the stranger's eye when she'd said she was a coal. The odd, unkind way he spoke about Ruby. The peculiar length of his legs like a shadow at sunset. That deep down squirming brown alley feeling which wouldn't go away. But she didn't know where to begin or how to explain her unease without sounding babyish. Aha! Pa had figured out the trilt of tilting the black card to make the letters shine. That's new. Shall I tell him to come back another time? What? No, I'll see him. He stood up and attempted to tidy the desk. Tell him I'll be just a minute. Pearl went to the door. Resisting the urge to bolt it, she turned the handle and glanced in the business section. The Obscurismith was gone. She gave a small sigh of relief. Thank you, Miss Cole. She whirled around. He was leaning on the wall behind her, all careless elegance. You followed me. So? It was the kind of thing Pearl herself would have said to annoy her brothers. She stared at him, mouth half open. He was a grown man. He was in her house. He was teasing her as if he were a child himself. What was he hoping to achieve? Pa will be out in a minute, she said and strode away, trying to look as if she was too busy for mysterious strangers. The sense of being followed stuck to her like a spider's web. She climbed the stairs to the first floor and looked over the railing at the door to her father's office. It was shut and gave away nothing. Atop the nearest obelisk, the paper wagtail stopped preening itself and fixed her with its small white eyes. Despite the heat, she shivered. This wasn't brown alley foreboding anymore. The nervous feeling that warned her of trouble. 
It was the sense that she had made a wrong turn somewhere and was deep in trouble already. There you go. Magic, mystery and history and a grand bookshop. The grandest bookshop in the world by Amelia Mellor is out now with a firm press. If you're interested in writing your own magical story for younger readers, check out our course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults. That's exactly what our graduate Tamsin Janu did, and she's now a children's author. Here's her story. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course will help you find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love. You'll also have your very own tutor providing personalised feedback on your writing. Here's what Tamsin Janu says. My name is Tamsin Janu. My latest book is um, Figgy and the President. It's a sequel to the first book I wrote, which is Figgy in the World. Before I did a course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I was at uni. I was studying law. I was kind of looking for a creative outlet out of that. And so I decided to do the course for writing for children and young adults at the Australian Writers' Centre um, because basically studying at uni, um, it was a bit dry and I kind of wanted a creative outlet. So I'd started kind of dabbling in writing here and there. And I really just wanted to learn more uh, about writing in general, about how to write a good book and particularly how to write a good kid's book. Some of the practical things I learned in the course were just, I guess, basic craft things like um, how to write good dialogue, how to create a kind of likeable character. I think the best thing about the course at the Australian Writers' Centre was just really how much I learned and the supportive community there. The course was really great because it really kind of got me motivated to write and it got me excited about writing. I think um, doing the course really helped me um, going into the publishing process uh, because of what I learnt, particularly in um, categorising my book and um, where it would fit in the market. For example, I, I write junior fiction, but at the time I thought I was writing a young adult novel. Um, but through the course I learnt that my voice was very much more um, junior fiction. And so that really helped um, in pitching it to the right people and to knowing kind of where to place my language and the story. To find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash children's author. Thanks for listening to Story Sessions of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writercentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre. Do connect with us on social media at Writers' Centre AU, on Twitter and Instagram, and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. It's free to join. Both Alison Tate and I will be back to our regular programming in your next full episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>